This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Friday night, I was covering a high school football game. Had to go to Roseburg, had to broadcast that. And as I drive back, I turn on my radio, and I'm hoping that the Ducks game is still on. I'm hoping I have a game to hear. I'm hoping there's something going on. And I keep waiting for Jerry to tell me the score. Finally, after about 15 minutes, I find out they killed him. Yeah. Unbelievable Owned win. Him. Yeah, from start to finish. No, um, yeah, great great win for Oregon. Uh, Friday night game, so it's always kind of weird. You never really know what's going on there. Um, you never know what the fan support's going to be like. Because, you know, for me, I'm reading the boards thinking, okay, you know, people got to get out of work. You know, a lot of people get off at 5, 5.30, whatever. You got to get out of work. You, are you racing right, right to the stadium? Are you going to go home and change and get ready and then try to get down to the stadium? Um, you know, students, Friday night's the – you know, go out fun night, you know, Taylor's is packed or whatever. So, uh, but you know, I didn't go to the game personally, uh, watched it down here in Southern Oregon, but it looked like, you know, you could hear the atmosphere through the television broadcast. Um, it looked good on in pictures. It looked good on the, on the broadcast. Um, you know, I know Mario Cristobal mentioned it was a good turnout. Um, and, and all that aside, you know, they, they were all treated to a heck of a, of a drubbing. And I, and I, I love, I know we'll get into it. I love what I saw out of the offense, but hot damn, that defense is something, man. They're special. Yeah. We, we talked about this last night. You did a radio hit on my show in Southern Oregon, and we both agreed this is the best duck defense we've ever seen. Yeah, you know, that was something uh, that I started saying a few weeks ago, and you uh, agreed with. And we weren't all in. It wasn't like this is definitively, but it was like, man, this is really looking like the best defense we've ever seen in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every week, they go out and they they do it again and then they do it again and, and it just really cements that idea in right. your head and I think against Colorado that was like okay this is no longer a fluke this is not uh, you know inferior competition based this is legit they're legit yeah. top to bottom blowouts whatever they're freaking not letting people score yeah well it's it's one thing to do that against nevada right it's another thing to do that against montana yeah you expect the ducks to be in, on another planet of a talent level against those schools when you do this three straight games in the pac-12 seven against cal yeah you know stanford felt like they couldn't get in the end zone if you played five games worth right and then only three to Colorado. Yeah. This is absurd. Yeah. I mean, I, in my opinion, and I know that this is always tough just because the dynamics always change, but, it, uh, you know, what I saw Friday night is a team that would have beaten Auburn originally. I mean, the defense right. is that much better than that first game. I think that first game they had some kinks to work out. They missed out, missed a few tackles. There were some communication things. It wasn't egregious. It was still a good enough defense to win that game. But it was a week one performance. Yeah, it did. where they're at now is, yeah, I mean, and if the offense, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say the offense is fixed. It's perfect. They definitely played a really good game on Friday night against Colorado. I'm not asking for anything more than that performance. Now we just need to see it consistent for a few weeks, and then I'm ready to kind of buy in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, you mentioned that Auburn game, man. I was thinking about this last night. It's a damn shame you if you win that Auburn game, you're essentially swapped with Auburn in the polls. Yeah. You might even be higher. You're you might top be top 16. 10. I think you're top 16. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the Ducks have, you know, something bright in the forecast to point to and say we can go further than the Pac-12. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and on I I still believe that. I know Feinbaum and these other SEC honks, you know, it's it's all SEC, it's all SEC. Right. I I get it, man. I get it. You guys get the SEC love every year, okay? You want to keep it going. You don't want to lose any momentum. But I mean, Oregon's got to stay around that top 10 mark. They got to hover right there and then they got to win. I mean, those those two factors remain. If they can do that, I think they can manage to get into the playoffs. Now, I'm not saying that this team will do that. Obviously, we've got to play the games, and I'm not ready to make that the new expectation. I'm not. As we get closer towards the end of the season, that you know that becomes closer and closer to actually being the expectation. But it, again, as we say every week, if your goal is for this team to win the Pac-12 title right now and get into a New York Six Bowl you know, or, uh, you know, something of that, of that kind, they're on pace for that. And mm. I, I really feel like this team is showing that they're capable of that. Now asking if they are a elite top four team in the country, that's a whole different bottle of wax. You, I mean, you, you can't just associate and say, Hey, this team is top 10. They should automatically be in the playoff there. That's, that's not fair. There's a, there's a big difference between a number four team and a number 10 team. I mean, you go look at them now. I don't know who's four and who's ten right now, but basically, if I'm picking teams, I'm saying you're somewhere around uh, Auburn or Florida or Michigan. Those are like floating around ten, mm-hmm. and then you're talking about LSU and Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma. Those are those those teams are far better than the ones I previously mentioned, right? In my opinion, so, no, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I, I think like LSU's win over Florida is a really good example of that. I think this weekend could be another really good example of that. And yes. we'll talk about that game in Seattle a little bit later. Scott Eklund, a Seattle guy, Washington writer for yep. uh, 24-7 and Cascadia Preps and a couple other places. He's going to join us shortly, and yep. we'll, we'll, we'll break down kind of the Husky perspective on that big rivalry game. But uh, one more thing from Colorado. Yeah. Jacob Breland got hurt. He did. Uh, you know, and... Um, I guess the way I look at it is obviously you don't ever want to see injuries. That's a, that's a, a no brainer, but there's, there's four or five guys on this team that if Oregon sustains an injury there, it becomes somewhat critical, somewhat paramount. And obviously, you know, number one on that list is Justin Herbert and I'm a big Tyler Shuck fan, but let's face it. There is a, ch- a change from Justin Herbert to Tyler Shuck. Uh, in this team so you know that's one there Uh, you lose a guy like Panay Sewell who's basically the best player on the team at this point apparently and you know that's going to change the dynamic of that offensive line pretty drastically so uh, right up there though in that three or four area is Jacob Breland and and a it's because of how he's been playing this year Uh, he's been playing lights out b it's because of how Oregon's used him he's been very valuable in in kind of stretching the game vertically a little bit and c uh, it's because of the depth behind him, or I should say lack of depth. You know, you see Ryan Bay get out there and Hunter Campmoyer, and sure, those guys are blockers, and they can do that, and they and they are veterans, so it's not like you're putting a true freshman out there, but they're clearly not Jacob Breland, and, and you're really going to remove 
that passing element out of the game, at least from the tight end spot. And as we know, or, tight end is a very important position in Oregon's offense. Right. They want one. They're going to run with one. They're not going to change from that. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to just all of a sudden switch to four wide and eliminate the tight end. It's a staple of the offense. I mean, you're basically saying, you know, why don't you guys play without a center? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I realize that that's tongue in cheek there, but that's, I mean, it is that big of a impact on this offense. They're not prepared to change from it. This is what they know. You know, this is what they're going to do. So, uh, you know, Jacob Breland's a big loss. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, I think he's one of the, the top three, four, five guys. I wouldn't have said this prior to the season, but now he's one of the top three, four, five guys you can't afford to lose and uh, on Oregon. You yeah. know, and almost all those guys are on offense. Most It seems like the defense is too deep almost everywhere, uh, maybe save Javon Holland, you know. Yeah, I don't know how you could find a backup for what he does. No, man. He's no. incredible. He's a utility man. Uh, if we ever had Jim Mastro on the show, yeah. I think Jim could speak to this real well just because of his background with the pistol, Ducks running back coach. When you have a tight end that is versatile, like yeah. Jacob Breland, a guy that can run routes and he can catch passes, but he can also really give you something in the run game, that personnel in that formation is lethal. Yeah. Because it forces your defense to play it honest. Mm-hmm. Like like they'll have to put three linebackers out on the field or or if they're three four, they gotta put four linebackers out on the field. And then all of a sudden, you can get them deep with your wideouts yeah. and really you know, abuse them in a personnel mismatch. If you don't have that tight end and you gotta spread things out and, and go finesse, yeah, you add a little more speed onto the field, you might have the same great hands on the field, right? but you don't have that brute in the blocking that forces the defense to defend the run. And I know everybody's going to point to the statistical high points of Jacob Breland this year, but really his best growth, his uh, the, the best development he's done this year has been at blocking, mm-hmm. which is not a number we can categorize. That's not a, a stat I can pull up and say, well, you know, Oregon had 90 yards and they ran behind Jacob Breland that, you know, game for 75. You know, I can't, I can't do that, but I can tell you from, you know, from almost the numerous film reviews that we've seen out of Hithliday and QB11 reviewing the games, something that they're regularly mentioning is that Jacob Breland's blocking, blocking is is much improved over what it's been so far. Right. And, and again, so that makes him one of those key guys that, like you said, uh, he makes the linebacker stop and think for a second. You know, is this guy engaging and going to release behind me and then I'm in deep trouble, you know, because I got a, a really good pass catcher that's breaking loose behind me. Uh, you know, is this guy, this guy's tough enough blocking? Or are they really going to run to my side and I'm not going to be able to get the guy? Uh, you're, you're making linebackers think. If you can, you know, Mario Crispo will tell you, if you can make the opponent, the opponent's defense stop and think even for a half second or a second, that's giving you an advantage, and, and and like you said, that's something that a Jacob Breland brings into your offense. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and and I'm sure they're gonna they're do the absolute best, but a Ryan Bay or a Hunter Campmoyer doesn't present that sort of threat. Not yet. No. I think there's a there's a young man last name of Herbert that's gonna be pretty good in a couple years, but yeah, not I, yet. I I think you I think you labeled it appropriately there appropriately. I think in a couple years, uh, you know, maybe even next year. But right now, uh, can he get a couple catches this week? Yeah. I think blocking is going to be a big issue for him this week. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, Washington's not small. They're physical. They're they're well coached, and they're going to do a good job trying to confuse, you know, Herbert. Should he be the guy out there, they're going to try and confuse him about what they're trying to do. Um, it's a lot to task on a true freshman. And again, what we've identified is tight end has become a very important element to this offense. Whether you like it or not, it's an important element of this offense. So whoever's there, whoever's playing it has a lot of responsibilities and has to do it well. Otherwise, 
I think the biggest thing that I take away from Colorado is the offense executed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Marcus Arroyo called any better of a game than he has done the in any past games this season. I just think everything was executed really well. And I'm not sitting here saying you guys need to back off Marcus Arroyo's play calling. I understand your points, and that's fine. I'm not here to deter you from that. I'm simply saying I think it was a well-called game, and even more importantly, it was a important. It was a very well executed game, and I think that's why we saw the offense, you know, put up big numbers like they did. If your tight end's not executing, it's going to be a problem in that offense. Yeah, yeah, a whole lot to take away from that Oregon Colorado game, and a lot to look forward to for uh, Ducks and Huskies. Husky Hate Week, baby! Husky Hate Week. I, I love how that sounds. Oh, Husky Hate Week's fun. I just I have a lot of fun. It just it reminds me of the spirit of college football. It's not because I hate the Huskies. I don't. I just it, the spirit of college football is alive and well in a rivalry, and this is one of the best rivalries in the country. Right. Right. And we get to take a special dive at it next. Uh, Scott Eklund writes about the Huskies for a whole lot of places. 24-7 Sports and CascadiaPreps.com does some great work there. We're going to phone Scott. We're going to pick his brain and, and see what he has to say about this Washington team. And, and I, I think it's fascinating because you've written about this this week. You pointed out Jacob Eason's good. He's not great. And, and you pointed out, you said... That field, uh, not field position, um, you think that home field advantage is going to be key? I think home field advantage is something that's going to help keep Washington in this game that otherwise, should it be at at Oregon, Austin Stadium, or even on a, on a neutral field, I believe Oregon, at least from what we've seen to date from both teams, Oregon is the more talented and better team to date. Their defense is better. I think the offenses are similar. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if I'm hedging a bet, you're basically hedging your bet on defense. Oregon's defense is, is much better than Washington's. Now, they're both great coaches. Peterson's a great coach. I know there's going to be a lot of schematics there, but I do think uh, this game being played in Seattle at Husky Stadium, I think that's a really good neutralizer, and I think that keeps this game a little bit closer, again, than it would be maybe in Eugene or on a neutral field. Yeah, and I just wonder what Scott thinks about that. Yes. Yeah. Maybe maybe he takes it differently. I, I think about that interview we did with the Stanford beat writer R.J. Abecha right. a couple weeks ago, right? Where R.J. basically spilled the beans and said, "There's no way the Ducks lose this game." Well, yeah, there's no home field advantage in Palo Alto, nor <laughs> nor in at Cal. I mean, they just don't get fired up for football. Right. At Husky Stadium, that's another tremendous game atmosphere. I mean, they're they're going to get after it. They're going to be loud. Um, you know, rivalry great rivalry game. So we don't have to sell anything here, but. It's a tremendous stadium. They're going to have tremendous fan support. Um, I imagine it'll be 100% full for this game. Um, again, that's going to be a great neutralizer, uh, to uh, at least to me, for, for Washington in this game. All right. Let's pick the brain of Scott Eklund, see what he thinks. Scott Eklund joining us on Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Talking with Scott Eklund. He writes at dogman.com. Also does some great work at Cascadia Preps. A little bit of everything. Reminds me a lot of how Justin has his role at Scoop Duck, where it's not just football and and game recaps and following the beat of the school, but a lot of recruiting as well. Scott, um, we call it Husky Hate Week. What do you call this game? Oh, well, I mean, Husky fans, I, I would say for the most part, a vast majority uh, hate Oregon. So it would be hate week up here, too. <laughs> it's duck hate week. 
Um, yes, it is Duck Hate Week. It's yep. Duck Hate Week. No, that's great. You know, I I have no problem. I told I told Matt, you know, leading into this, I love it. I love the Hate Week, not because I hate Washington. I just love the rivalry. I love the intensity of you know college football and two teams that genuinely dislike each other so much. It's I mean, it's what football is all about. At the end of the day, just you know, going out there and beating your opponent. Um, you know, what, what's kind of the, you know, from your opinion, and I know you run a message board just like I do, what's kind of the feel up there for, for yourself and fans for this game as we kind of get ready for this one in a couple of days? Um, do you mean more like uh, do the fans feel confident about the game? or? Yeah, yeah. Just are they feeling oh, confident okay. or nervous? Or, you know, what, what are some okay. of the things that, that would, you're reading? I would say with the – with the way with the way the Ducks have been going, I think a lot of fans are kind of nervous about this game and and don't know exactly what to think. Of course, you got the Doomsday people that well they lost to Cal and Stanford. There's absolutely no way they're going to beat Oregon. And then you've got the sunshine and you know rainbows and puppy dogs people who think <laughs> that everything that happens is good and and it doesn't matter and and Oregon stinks and there's no way they're going to beat them. So. I think a vast majority of the people, though, fall in that 80% of the middle where they're, they're like, you know, Oregon's playing really good. They've got a senior leader at quarterback. They've got an experienced offensive line. They've got a really good uh, running game, and maybe they took a little bit of a hit. I mean, a guy that I've loved all season long is, is Breland, Jacob Breland, your tight end. Yeah. And now he's gone for the season, and I, that's going to put a little bit of a hole in the passing game, I think. Yeah, no question. But, no question. But uh, but you know, I really think that most Husky fans uh, think that the Oregon defense is playing pretty well as well, and and I think that's shown out uh, in the first what six seven games, however many games. I think you guys have had a bye week already. I don't remember off the top of my head, but whatever yeah. it is, how many ever many games they've played pretty well, and um, you know, aside from I don't want to call it falling apart, but aside from you know, letting uh, Auburn come back, get in that game, and then eventually win the game. I think Oregon has played really well, and is probably if you're if you're making odds on who's going to win the Pac-12, I think Oregon would be my odds leader at this point. Scott, you mentioned those Husky losses to Cal. That was kind of a weird game, and then the Stanford game recently. Uh, what, what's your read on that? Why do they find themselves in a hole in the standings? Yeah, uh, well, you know, the, the Cal game, I don't want to blame it on a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay or weather delay, whatever you want to call it, because Cal had to go through the same thing that Washington did. But, man, there was just no energy in that stadium. There was probably 10,000 people left out of 45,000, 50,000 that were at the game at the start. And, um, you know, and, and by the way, in that game, I've been going, I'm 48 years old. I've been going to games at Husky Stadium since I was about five, six years old. And in that time, I have never experienced a weather-related delay at the University of Washington or at a Seahawk game. So that was so rare and so unexpected. So, um, and the fact that it was a late start anyway, and you know, I don't want to blame it on the weather delay, but I'm sure that played a little bit into it. At least Washington not being able to get it done, and then heck, Evan Weaver is out for revenge, and Washington not recruiting him that hard. Right. And he, he just has destroyed Washington the past two years. So, um, you know, the Cal game, I don't really have an answer for. That was really weird. The, the Stanford game, I have an answer for. And that was Stanford came out and owned it and became Stanford again. The Stanford that we had been used to for the better part of the last uh, decade and, or, you know, 15 years, 
where they are just, they are men and they come out and they physically abuse you. And that's what happened to Washington's defense in that game. Washington couldn't get a stop. Uh, they, they, when they really needed it, uh, Cameron Scarlett looked like the next coming of Toby Gerhardt. And that isn't even really the case. You know, I mean, you guys have seen the guy run and yeah. he's from the Portland area. He's not that kind of a guy. So I, I just think Washington really struggled to get off the field defensively and offensively. They looked, they looked like crap. They really did. And, um, I would, I, from everything that we're hearing is that Bush Hamden and, and, um, some of the stuff that that's been going on and everything like that uh, sounds like some of the players stood up in the game, especially or in the middle of you know at halftime of the Arizona game when their offense basically came out looking like it did against Stanford in that first half. And Jacob Eason basically stood up and said, "Hey, this is our team. We need to get going. Let's let's let, let's cut it loose." And it sounds like that's kind of what happened in that second half. They were playing with confidence. And uh, they kind of got after Arizona, which isn't a great team, but they're not bad either. So, um, I, you know, if Washington's going to have any chance in this game against Oregon this weekend, it, they have to play confident and they have to play loose. Because I think Oregon's playing confident and loose right now. And I would say both rosters are pretty much an equal when it comes to talent. So it's really going to come down to who plays error-free, but also plays with their hair on fire and, and comes out ready to go. Yeah, I think you make a lot of uh, great points there. I, I do believe overall rosters are, are fairly similar, at least if we're just talking about a talent uh, standpoint. Uh, one guy that you mentioned and has uh, drawn a lot of uh, just a lot of attention, that's obviously Jacob Eason this year. And it, it seems from what I've read, and just from a statistical standpoint, you know, he might maybe struggled a little bit against the better competition, but has, has, has feasted on some of the lower competition. And I'm not saying that's the case. My, my question to you is, is that something that you've maybe noticed a little bit as well, or is that overhyped, or just what are you seeing out of Eason so far this year? Well, I, I mean, he's, he's um, below 200 yards passing in conference play, and Washington is 2-2 two and two in conference play, so... I think that, you know, you can make the argument at least based on the stats. Um, you know, against Boy, uh, BYU, I, I mean, I, I don't think any of us saw Washington coming out and just putting it on BYU in Provo. And that's exactly what happened. And, and a lot of us thought, man, they're really starting to hit their stride. But then he comes back and, and he looks okay against USC. He, he manages the game like he's supposed to, but then he lays an egg against Stanford. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know what to think. I think he plays a little bit better uh, at home. I think that's, that's definitely going to help him. I think the other part of the Stanford game that I didn't mention when I was kind of looking back on it, and Washington never plays well on grass. And I don't know about how Oregon, you know, you guys have watched Oregon a lot more than I have. And but these teams that play on these fast surfaces like AstroTurf and and uh, Field Turf and all the different turfs that they have nowadays, uh, I don't think they play real well on grass anymore because a lot of these schools don't even have grass to practice on. So um, you know I think that probably hindered them a little bit too. But getting back to your question about Jacob Eason, I I just think um, the argument definitely could be made that he has feasted off of some of the lesser opponents at this point in his uh, uh, tenure as the starting quarterback at the University of Washington. But, you know, 
Arizona's defense, while it isn't very good, um, he still it took him a little while to quote unquote feast on on them. And um, then in the second half, he kind of opened it up. First throw of the second half, he throws down the sidelines to Puka Nakua, who I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second. But um, <laughs> you know that that really kind of sparked the offense. It seemed to really kick them in the butt and get them going. And uh, I like I said, you know, if he comes out and he cuts it loose doesn't feel hindered by any of the play calls and everything like that. I think that's going to go a long way in helping him, you know, have a good game against Oregon. That still doesn't mean if he has a good game against Oregon, that still doesn't mean that Washington's going to win this game, but it's good. He has to have a good game in order for them to even have a chance to win uh, this game. Yeah. You mentioned Puka. Let's get there. Uh, what, what do you like about him this week against the Ducks D? Well, you know, I mean, you guys got have have some size at, at corner and everything like that, but um, you know, this guy's just kind of a different animal as far as body size. Washington hasn't thrown out a lot of guys with this size and this physicality. You know, Ty Jones is a six three, six four wide receiver, but he plays more like he's about five ten. Right. He, you know, he's one of those guys. He just doesn't use his body. He doesn't, uh, you know, really go up and get the ball at its highest point, which for a guy his size would be what, probably 10 feet in the air, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, and he's not doing that. Puka Nakua, on the other hand, showed that physicality and showed uh, what he could do last week. Now, can he build off of that? It's a, he's a true freshman, so you're going to see some inconsistent performances from, from a guy like that. But, man, what he did in high school, his senior year, I, I mean, I, from what I remember, he had the most yards of any tree. Um, receiving last year, and it was something like 120 receptions, almost like 2,700 yards receiving, and 27 touchdowns last season. As a now, granted, it's a senior in high school, and he's one of the most physically dominant players in the state of Utah, and everything like that. I get it, but if that if he can translate that over to the college game, that'd be great. Well, he's still only a true freshman, and you don't see a lot of true freshmen take over games. You see a few here and there. Obviously, Julio Jones was doing that when he was a when he was a true freshman, and some of these other guys. But I wouldn't put Puka in the Julio Jones <laughs> physical uh, dominance, you know, category at this point. So um, I, I think a lot is going to depend on um, them getting the ball to Puka a little bit early, getting him involved, and uh, making sure his head's in the game and everything like that. But another part of it's just going to be him not making freshman mistakes and unfortunately that's just part of the game when you're playing freshman is you got to get ready for a few freshman mistakes here and there where he's not going to read a coverage right he's going to go in when he was supposed to go out and does that cause an interception does that cause a third down and easily makeable to be a you know a a miss on third down and now you're now you're punting so um he really looked good last week but you know, it, it was Arizona's secondary. It wasn't Oregon's secondary, which is much more talented and playing a lot better. And, and being coached by a coach that we had up here in Keith Hayward, who loves to play that physical brand of, of, uh, of, of defensive back play. Yeah. No, and you're right. I mean, you you could be a five star, even you know, even a guy like say Kevon Thibodeau. There's there's growth pains. I mean, they they don't come in as freshmen and and play like a senior. That's just not expected. But it's good to see Puka thrive. I think I thought you know when he kind of burst on the scene late there, he was definitely a guy that you know probably should have been a little more heavily recruited earlier in the process. But 
I'm, I know you and I both know, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest footprint, the, you know, Utah, Washington, Oregon, there always seems to be a late bloomer or two that kind of emerges at it, you know, even like an Evan Weaver, like you said, uh, you know, down at Cal. Um, I, I think you did really well with the offense there, but let's switch gears here. Defense, uh, obviously the other half of football. Um, in my opinion, as biased or whatever, I'm not sure that this Washington defense is as good as last year's was. Maybe just you know some young guys out there, and I understand you, you know sent some guys to the NFL. But what have you seen so far out of this Washington defense? Uh, you know this season. Yeah, well, they lose nine regular starters. Now there were guys who were coming in and, and getting some starts here and there, but they they lose nine regular starters, including three from the secondary and. You know, Washington is, is trying to, to make up for that. Now, uh, Kyler Gordon got picked on a little bit early. That We go back to that Cal game. He was picked on quite a bit in that Cal game. Um, Trent McDuffie, I think, is playing really, really well. He was a recruit out of uh, St. John Bosco, and he's probably, aside from Leatu Latu, probably the most um, you know, f- physically ready of all the, of all the um, freshmen that came in for the Washington Huskies. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they've, they're replacing Taylor Rapp, who I don't care what anybody says. And, and usually you say that if your safety is making all these tackles, it's not necessarily a good thing in the running game, right? Well, with, with Taylor, Taylor Rapp, and you can go back to the Oregon game, the only reason that Oregon didn't run up, you know, I don't know what the yardage totals were last year, but Oregon could have had, there were a lot more open runs for them if Taylor Rapp isn't there. And uh, he would come up and, and just knife in through the line and just take guys' legs out um, as they're just getting started into into the you know get, getting up ahead of steam and, and getting some runs. And he was such a key in his run fits in Washington's run support. So um, losing him, losing Greg Gaines, they're both playing on the same team in in Los Angeles now in in uh, the pros, but. Uh, you know, losing both of those guys, I think, really hurt. Obviously, Ben Burkirvan not being there. I mean, that's three guys right up the middle that, that have really um, – that really helped Washington's run defense. And then what Washington always did was you stop the run, you, you, you force them to become one-dimensional, and you, and, you, and you play the odds in the passing game, which I don't care what teams are throwing for nowadays. The odds of you going 70, 80 yards every, every time you get the ball – Throwing passes instead of running and throwing, you're going to be much less less um, likely to do yeah, that. And yeah. so Washington would play that those odds. And now they can't really do that because they don't they aren't able to stop the run like they like they had been. They they aren't able to stop the pass like they had been. And I I fully agree with you that Washington's defense is not up to snuff where it was the past couple of years. I think it has the potential to be better. Not this year, but maybe next year because so many of these guys are coming back. Levi Onsarike is probably gone and Keith Taylor is probably gone. Those are two guys who will probably leave early. But after those guys, pretty much everybody's going to stay. Josiah Bronson graduates but and the two middle linebackers graduate. But coming up behind those guys are some really good players. And I think you're going to see those players start to dominate as the season progresses and get better. And... Um, you know, I, I think this defense has the potential to be better, but right now and probably for the rest of this season, they are not going to be the dominant force that people maybe were used to over the past few years. 
Scott, we know you're a busy guy getting ready for a uh, Husky press conference despite a uh, monsoon storm, sounds like, <laughs> up there in Seattle today. Um, but before we let you go, I, I got to get this question in. What are your expectations for Saturday? Saturday, what I think is going to happen is Washington and Oregon are going to play each other real tough yeah. in the first half. I think the first half, you can see like a 10-7 to game, maybe 13-10 something like that, either one of those teams leading. Um, and, um, okay, so I'm going to reveal something. I'm probably going to predict Washington to win the game. And the only reason they're, I'm predicting them to win the game is because it's a home game. Right. If this was in Oregon or in a neutral site, probably pick the, pick the Ducks. But the problem is, um, the, the problem with my prediction is under the assumption that Washington is going to play like they did in the second half against uh, Arizona or the game against, BYU, or even the game against USC, rather than the way they played against Stanford and Cal. If they come out dead, which I don't see that happening because it's Oregon, um, if they come out dead, I think Oregon's going to put it to them pretty easily. Um, but I don't see that happening. I think the place is going to be packed. I think it's going to be raucous. Uh, the fans are ready to go. It's a noon 12.30 kickoff. Everybody up here hates the late kickoffs. I don't know about Oregon fans, but Husky fans hate the, same. Yeah, the, the late same. kickoffs. <laughs> They feel the same way. All right. So, um, you know, and, and so everybody's going to be ginned up for this thing. And I think that Washington's going to probably come out and maybe get a, you know, three to seven point win. But don't get me wrong, tons of respect for what, what Oregon has been doing on the field. And I could easily see Oregon winning this game. Could very easily see Oregon winning this game. And it's really going to come down to how Jacob Eason plays. And I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna come down to how Jacob Eason plays and the Oregon defense plays against him. If Oregon can can get a turnover or two out of Washington, I think the game's over. I think Washington has to play almost perfectly on offense. They got to get a, a running game going, and um, and Jacob Eason has to stay clean. And you cannot let Kayvon Thibodeau and those guys get after him. And uh, you know and and. Uh, man, by the way, I love Jordan Scott. I wish he was a Husky. <laughs> that guy is impossible to move out of the middle. I watched right. that guy. I watched last year's game. And by the way, I still think on that on that one third down play that Washington tried to run, um, where they ended up settling for the field goal, I still think he was offside. So that's that's the other. <laughs> uh, he he is such a wide body and so tough to move off a yeah. line of scrimmage tons of respect for him and the way they're coaching him and bringing him in he was a he's only what five eleven, six feet tall yeah if he's six feet he's he's barely it might be a dread that's standing up that's pushing him there okay yeah sounds good <laughs> yeah so so uh he's not a guy who has a lot of size and so he probably went under recruited maybe because he was from florida right yep yep yeah and for you guys to get a guy like that out of florida or for you guys for oregon to get a guy like that out of florida it tells me that the that the Florida schools, because they have five teams or six teams in in Florida that could have recruited him and decided not to, and I think that was a huge mistake because he is so good at stopping the run, and you got to stop the run nowadays if you're going to win. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know it's like you know with covering recruiting, it's hard to find that body type out west. Um, yep. that can play like Absolutely. he does. And I and I loved your point leading into bringing you on. I felt that if this game was neutral field or in Oregon, Oregon would win. 
I think the greatest neutralizer will be at a, a very packed and loud and raucous Husky Stadium. I think it's going to be a fun game. Scott, we know you got to go. We loved your time, appreciated uh, everything, and, and your, uh, I would say, unbiased opinion bringing it in. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll catch up with you again. Absolutely. No problem, guys. And, uh, you know, have a have a nice trip up here. Will I see you in the uh, in the press box? No, I'm not. I'm not going to make this one. I'm going to dodge the rain this week. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, well, you guys have a good one. And uh, because I'm a I'm a Husky grad, I'm a UW grad. I'm not going to say good luck to the Ducks after this week. So, but uh, you know, I I like Justin Herbert. I I talked to a lot of the recruits you guys uh, that the Oregon has brought in. I liked a lot of those kids. And, uh, you know, I, I wish them well personally, maybe not on the field, but personally. Yeah. So, no, I'm with you. Um, I, you know, and, and, you know, Justin, we've always, you know, been able to talk at, at recruiting stuff. I, I enjoy sitting around talking and, and, and BSing and talking recruiting and all that stuff. So um, anytime you guys need anything, just give me a shout. Oh, appreciate it, Scott, man. Have a, have, a good, have a good one Saturday and be safe out there, bud. I will. Thanks. With an interview like that, it just – impresses me more it just it just strikes me more that the man to my side here in the studio is a genius <laughs> what did you say this week heading into this game you thought that home field was going to be key sure you thought that Oregon's defense was going to keep the score tight yeah and you thought that Jacob Eason was going to be a wild card. And then what does Scott Eklund say right now? Right. He points out Eason. He points out the Duck D. He loves everybody in green and yellow. Yeah. But he thinks Washington's going to win because they'll have home field. Yeah. No, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, I don't know if Scott will come back and listen to this, but uh, loved his insight. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that cover that beat up there. I think Scott is one of the uh, most fair that yeah. does. Um, I think he was reasonable. Well-spoken. In a lot of his points. Um, I know he covers recruiting, so I really like that he brings that element into it um, and getting to know these young men on some form of a level. But, uh, you know, I thought a lot of his points were the same as mine. Um, you know, I think one thing he said that stu stuck out to me and, and I agree with, um, but I hadn't thought of it this way is that, um, you know, he said Washington needs to play a perfect game to win. And, and I agree with that. I think they'll have to, because of Oregon's defense, Washington's going to, going to you know, uh, every penalty is going to be paramount to them. Any turnovers are going to be absolutely critical because of Oregon's style of play, because they run the ball, control the clock, and they play tremendous defense. That really, what that does in the game of football, I'm not just talking about Oregon-Washington, what that does in the game of football is it limits your window. Right. Uh, it really demands you to play a perfect game or as close to perfect as possible. Now, the neutralizer there is if Oregon screws themselves over too. With I, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, rainy that's field, yeah. that means wet football. And we've already seen some issues on the uh, on the mesh point there for the the handoffs. Yeah, if that comes into play, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, I agree. That's that's obviously the neutralizer there. But I, I mean, if you're if you're a betting person, if you're if you're looking at it reasonably, I think it's awfully. If we're just saying that, hey, neither of these teams are going to play a perfect game, which is realistic. Who do you think is going to win? I think it's Oregon. You know, nine out of ten times, I think it's Oregon. I'm not trying to be unbiased. You know, totally biased. If Washington does manage to play that perfect game, you know, not only do they win, they might win by a little more than you'd expect. So, I, the the neutralizer to all that is the fact that Oregon's experienced. They're experienced on the offensive line. They're experienced at quarterback. They're fairly experienced at wide receiver. Um, you know, the defense is 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 fairly experienced overall. 
Um, you know, so a lot of that helps neutralize, you know, uh, being away from home field and also uh, not playing a perfect game, the, the elements of the weather. Yeah. Yeah, a whole lot to take in. Scott Eklund helped us take that in. Yeah. Uh, he writes at dogman.com. Also find him on Twitter at Scott Eklund. Uh, I always say this because I'll bring on like a beat writer from an opposing team. Sure. This is an opportunity for fans to scout the enemy. Yeah. You don't like Washington. You might hate Washington, but you get to hate read Washington. Right. Uh, with uh, what Scott does there at dogman.com. Um. I feel good on that game. I think we have some some good content left for player of the game and lock. Yeah. How about five games? Yeah, five games. It, yeah, it's gonna. I think it'll be a shorter segment than usual. I I struggled this week. Really? Yeah. You had a okay. Well, okay. we'll get into that. All right. Five games. You struggled this week. A little bit. I just, like just to get the five. I got five, but it just it was like, yeah, okay. I don't, it just it was just not a great slate of football, which which is okay. I thought last weekend was a really good slate of right. football, and I didn't think this this weekend was as good. Um, I mean, honestly, one of the best games this weekend is Oregon versus Washington. I agree, in my opinion. I I will say this. I think it's hard to do this list without mentioning the Oregon game because. That's your your cross top twenty five. That is a rivalry game, and that's a marquee game with huge implications in the Pac twelve. Uh, if you don't have that game, I had to fib a little bit. I had to stretch a little bit, but I like what I have. You want yeah. me to go first? Yeah, you kick it off with a couple. All right. So this is the stretch, and this is just for Pac twelve implications. Yeah. Really, nothing more. I don't think it's going to be a good game. And it's the Thursday night game. I'm guessing stanford ucla yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I no just, i agree i have it down yeah yeah i just want to see if if stanford loses this game yeah they are three games behind oregon potentially right with five games left right right that's no, insane you, yeah you got uh, here's the deal this is a massive you're bringing up a great point this is a massive massive weekend for oregon you're going to put the top two contenders behind you in the north at a really dangerous distance with a win over Washington and yes. a Stanford loss to UCLA. They would both be three games behind Oregon. Yes, and that's a that's a critical thing to note. As you said, five games left. So uh, there's no reason not to list that game. I couldn't replace it with another one. I have, and, and you know, more importantly, it's a Thursday night game. The Thursday night NFL games have been fairly trash recently, so watch the college one. It's right. at 6 o'clock on ESPN, so you can everybody can watch it. Um, and, and again... Stanford loses by some miracle to UCLA. Who knows? I mean, it's at home for Stanford. That's not really a home advantage. Um, yeah, and, and Oregon beats Washington. You are sitting really pretty in the Pac-12 North. And you're right about that Thursday night angle. I'm I'm on a limb this week. I'm Mr. Hot Take saying Mahomes has a bum knee. Oh, yeah. I think that's going to be an ugly game on Thursday night. Yep. Um, I got another Pac-12 game for you on my list. Okay. ASU-Utah. I have that one. I had another one in between, but yeah, I have that one down too. I think that's just going to be a good game. Those are two. Uh, they're both top 25 teams, if I recall correctly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, secondly, it's a 3 o'clock game. So if you don't travel to Seattle uh, to watch the Ducks and Huskies, you'll be somewhere potentially where you could watch it on TV. It's on the Pac-12 network, so that makes it a little tougher. But <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, that should be a good game. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think Utah is going to – rally right over ASU I think that's a fascinating game I I think that 
Utah has talent where you want talent to win in college football. They got huge linemen. Yeah. But I really like that coaching staff at Arizona State. I like the offense. I think it's you know it's a fun offense. Uh, Eno Benjamin's an absolute monster in the backfield for ASU. Uh, Jaden Daniels been a tremendous quarterback as a freshman. Obviously led them to the the game winner last week. Um, and more importantly, if you're Oregon and we you know our job's just to look ahead. If you're Oregon and you beat Washington and Stanford loses to UCLA, you have a really good shot at cinching up the North. Watching that ASU-Utah game gives you a really good feel for how good the Pac-12 South is and who you might potentially face. Right. I know we're doing a lot of looking ahead, but we're actually starting to get to that point of college football. Yeah. Everything is starting to fit into place. Yeah. We don't do this after Auburn. We don't start looking at the Pac-12. We wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, no. We're getting to that point now. But yeah, yeah, so I'm with you. That's a game I have down. Uh, Three more on my list. I've got two in the SEC. We'll get to there later but uh byu and boise state well i didn't put that one down but it will be a good game i agree uh i guess here's the deal here's my take on that one you want boise state to win as many football games as you can if you're an oregon fan really yeah okay tell me why because you don't want andy avalos going anywhere Ooh, that's a good reason yeah that's a really i was like i was like they're fighting in the polls and college football playoff but yeah. Just gotta win, Boise. It. Just win. Got to yeah. keep Avalos. Yeah, I mean, that. I, there's no question in my mind. I know Avalos will get some uh, consideration, but, you know, the first first call they'll make is certainly Andy Avalos if they were to make a change. No so, doubt. Yeah. Go Boise State. So that one's not on your list. It's not. Okay. Uh, i got two SEC games, LSU, Mississippi State, just because I love Joe Burrows. I'm okay. all in on that offense. You're wanting to watch that one? Right. Gotcha. And Florida, South Carolina. I did put that one. That was my other one. That, you know, because that's a Saturday 9 o'clock game on ESPN. So, again, if you're not going to the Seattle game, or excuse me, the Washington game, if you're not driving to Seattle, you can watch that one in the morning, flip over to your game at 1230. So, uh, yeah, I mean, South Carolina obviously upsetting Georgia last week. Was it a fluke? Are they better? Um, you know, was that, uh, you know, just who knows? Um Florida, I'm still, I keep saying it, I'm still not all the way in on Florida. Tremendous defense, pretty mediocre offense at best. Right. I, you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't know that Florida's top 10 team for me. It, they're right on the bubble. Uh, that's a team Oregon be, could beat. Let me put it that way. I agree. In my opinion. I think Oregon would beat Florida. Yeah. It's just they don't play Florida. Well, sure. So you yeah. got to hope that the Gamecocks can give them some help again this yeah. week. Yeah, I keep bumping them down. Uh, yeah, so you had one more. Or no, was that, that, that was, was it? my five. Oh, uh, I have Michigan and Penn State. Okay. I yeah, mean, I, it's 16 versus a seven. I don't think it's going to be a great game to actually watch. I think Penn State's going to kick the crap out of Michigan uh, when it comes down to it. But I listed it just because it's a top 20 matchup at least. And and you mentioned that they're going to kick the crap out of them. That's the only reason why I didn't put that game right, down. Yeah. Of, I, I just, after last year, after not a Michigan fan, but just as a neutral, hoping, maybe as a Jim Harbaugh fan, hoping that that's the year where he finally uh, climbs the hurdle, they get their their butts kicked in by Ohio State. Yep. And I just left that game feeling like they're never going to get over the mountain. I agree. And and then they get destroyed by Wisconsin. Right. And props to you. You saw that coming a mile away. They got killed by Wisconsin. I just don't buy into this team. No. It doesn't matter to me. The the, the Jim Harbaugh-led Michigan team is going to be exactly what we expect them to be every year. They're going to win seven or eight games, 
and they're going to have a couple bad losses, Ohio State, Penn State, whatever, you know, because those teams are really good and developing. And it's going to be that team every year, and everybody's going to, you know, they're going to enter the season in the top 20 because Jim Harbaugh's there, and they recruit a lot of five stars and four stars, and they just continue to be, I don't want to say average, but above average. Right. And, and not elite or not great. You know what I mean? So that's my take on it. I just, I don't know what it was. Jim Harbaugh at Stanford. I really like Jim Harbaugh at Stanford. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think part of it is just the newness of we weren't numb to all of the Harbaugh-isms, right. all the, the tacky things that he does. Part of it, too, I think was expectations. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Seven or eight wins at Stanford, that's a hell of a year. Yes. I mean, now David Shaw has raised the expectations of that program so right. much. They used to be the worst team in the Pac-12. Yeah. But your football expectations at Stanford's a lot less than your football expectations at Michigan. Right. And I think that's what we're both getting at. Right. Yeah. Eight wins at Michigan and the pitchforks should be coming out. Yeah. If you're at Michigan and you're losing to Michigan State or Ohio State or Penn State on a yearly basis, which they're doing, losing to two of the three every year, it seems like. And getting spanked sometimes. And getting spanked, yeah. And then now you throw in Wisconsin, who's you know, becoming a, a pretty solid uh, perennial program. Uh, yeah, you just can't keep losing those games. No. I mean, sure, you're going to beat Akron and those guys. You're supposed. I mean, you're supposed to. I mean, you should be able to do that with me back there. Right. But anyway, so, yeah, I, I wrote that down, but I think Penn State's going to shellac them. Um, that's also a game that's after uh, the Duck game, 430 on ABC. So, Duck game, Huskies will be at 1230, so you can watch that one. Uh, last one, I'm pretty surprised you didn't list, but uh, Arizona at USC. Uh I don't know. I just Arizona is like up and down, and that's what a Kevin Sumlin team's going to be. But uh, USC's coming off a loss to Notre Dame, and man, just the the rumor mill in, in USC and Clay Helton and Ur- Urban Meyer. And you think this is the week? I, this is the week that they don't let him board the plane? Nah, I don't think so. But I think if you lose to Arizona, that's that. I can't say that that's the nail in the coffin. But you've certainly pushed the door shut on the coffin, and you got the hammer in your hand, in my opinion. Another loss, if you should lose to Arizona, another loss the rest of the season. I don't care to who, uh, and you're you're putting the you're putting the nail in there. Let's let's play the hypothetical here. Let's say you're in charge of the hiring at USC. Is Urban your first call? Uh, I would. I'm a terrible barometer of that because I don't like Urban Meyer whatsoever. Neither do I. I uh, total hypocrite. Uh, is he a, a winning and successful coach? Absolutely no question. A tremendous football coach and a tremendous loser and a tremendous scumbag. Scumbag is right. what I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that's a really that's a really tough question because on the surface, the expectations of winning football games at USC is tremendous. But you've got so much going on with these lawsuits and some really bad publicity right now that going and hiring a guy like Urban Meyer and should he do anything under your watch that isn't up to snuff, well, you just cost yourself your job. So whoever the AD is when they're hired, and that's the decision you have to make. You're either saving your job ultimately or risking your job by hiring Urban Meyer. Yeah. And it's going to cost you a lot of money too, which they can afford, but- Every year that Oregon and Washington both continue to out-recruit USC is another another step back. You're pushing USC football. It's amazing to me. And and you snuck in that part there. Uh, probably the, the, the biggest piece of all this is the fact that because of a national college admission scandal, 
Lynn Swan is out of a job and they have no AD. Yeah, and they have yeah, and so who's even like who's even making this these decisions? If you're if they're booster led, that's always a disaster. I mean, because yes. those guys, uh, I mean, boosters have big money and and a lot of times have big egos and want their voice to be heard. And I get it when they're giving large sums of money like they do. The problem is they're just as irrational as the fan sitting next to you at the game, oftentimes. Right. So right. There's not many. Uh, and I, I'm going to give him a paddle. There's not many full nights out there. I mean, that guy has his hands in there. He could pull the strings however he wanted to, but he really doesn't. I think the exception there, the reason the reason for that, I look at like Oklahoma State with uh, T. Boone Pickens. Yeah. Oil Baron, not a football guy. Right. Not a sports guy. Right. Phil Knight has worked in sports his entire life. Yeah. And he knows. Yeah, he knows. And, and I think that it also lends merit to the ultimate respect he has for Rob Mullins. I think those two, Phil Knight and Rob Mullins, you know, that's a very good marriage of an AD and a very notable top booster to your program. Right. Um, I, I think there's a lot of mutual respect there, obviously. And, and I think it says a lot about Mullins. But um, again, yeah, back to USC. I, I mean, I mean, Bob Stoops is sitting out there. I mean, shoot, man, you know, you want to you want to infuse some fun i think stoops kind of like lincoln riley's a tremendous coach i get oklahoma did the same thing oregon did you pushed out mike bellotti for chip kelly because chip kelly was like the hot thing and you knew it lincoln riley was the hot thing and you knew it you pushed out the older mm-hmm. bob stoops at oklahoma i i think i think bob stoops if you want a good hire that's low risk in terms of all the off-field things i think he's a good hire plus i think he would work well with graham harrell down there at us uh, as the offensive coordinator oh yeah so you'd at least have that continuity there you you go from a air raid system yeah to a coach that at oklahoma laid the foundation for their air raid yeah yeah no i think it's a i think it's a great match of those two pieces there if you bring urban meyer in he's probably bringing in his guys um which would probably almost not include virtually anybody on that current coaching staff right now. Right, and all those quarterbacks are transferring out. Yeah, and you still have, I mean, you got this crap going on Ohio State now with Zach Smith and stuff that's just lingering, and nothing may come of it, but all that's just a, a, a swirling black shitstorm that circles around Urban Meyer wherever he goes. He's a great analyst. I mean, if, if it was up to me, I'd like if I was in that position, I'd, I'd be an analyst for 10 years, and you're still getting paid very generously and you got to travel a little bit but it's not Mm -hmm. like being a coach yeah a head coach your hours are drastically less (laughs) but i get it those guys have the drive it's a different deal i mean it's it's like it's in you once you've coached it's you know it's in you you know so uh but yeah i don't know what you think but i'm i think bob stoops would be a tremendous hire for usc stoops would be good as long as it's not urban i'm pretty happy with it i just his character rubs me the wrong way um I've mentioned this before, but the the name that I love is Jack Del Rio. Well, yeah, I, that was the hot name, you know, years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago, and then uh, you know you got James Franklin. Kind of people continue to mention him and his success at Penn State. James Franklin at, at for USC. I don't know if Penn State would let him go that easily. No, uh, I mean not with what he's building. He's uh, got the number seven team in the country right now, recruiting really well. He's got uh, he's got Jim Harbaugh's number. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who you hire, but I guess to me, Bob Stoops seems like the best and most obvious name right now. But 
we don't even know who the AD is at USC and what they're thinking. <laughs> so I guess it's a wild card. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they know either. No. Uh, that's your five games. Couple from the Pac-12. Couple from the SEC. Should be a good weekend. Yeah. Then you got that Duck good. Husky game. Yeah, and you got a chance. Like uh, again, you got a chance for Oregon to be three games up in the Pac-12 North over Stanford and Washington, who are likely your biggest threats. I think Cal's a good team, but you know you've already beat them and. Uh, I, did they have another loss somewhere else? I can't remember, but I think I don't think they're a, a legitimate threat to Oregon. So, no. and Washington State's not doing enough to be a threat. Although that will be a fun game. I still am still am predicting Oregon loses one game before the end of the season. Well, if they win this, I just week, haven't figured out matter. which. I haven't figured out which one yet. But yeah, yeah, I just get this feeling. Let the pirate do what he wants. As long as you win this week, yeah, pirate can do everything he needs to do in Eugene. Yeah. Uh, does does cost you a p- playoff consideration though? That would, yeah, that would put the final nail on the regardless coffin. of whatever else you do. But you still you're still going to end up being a, a top ten team. Yeah, you know you can. Nothing wrong with the roses, baby. No, oh gosh, no. Just don't give us Wisconsin, my lord. Lock of the week. Lock of the week. All right, let's go. Lock of the week. How about you go first? You want me to go first? You've killed it on these locks, man. Like every week. Whenever whenever Justin comes out and says, I think Javon Holland is going to have a pick, go to Vegas, go to the <laughs> sports books, and bet on it. Every week when Justin's like, yeah, C.J. Verdell is going to step up this week. Boom, running game, yeah. tears Colorado to smithereens. Your words are gold right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not always, but I got a good batting percentage. But, uh, I, you know, I'm going back. I'm going this direction, I haven't been able to do it yet, and I've flirted with it, and I've mentioned it, but Micah Pittman, it's your week, buddy. Really? It's your week, Micah Pittman, oh, with the wow. loss of Jacob Breland. Oregon's going to establish the run game, in my opinion. That's going to be an absolute key part of this offense. C.J. Verdell's going to have a solid day. But Micah Pittman is going to lead Oregon in receptions and receiving yards this week against Washington. Man, I feel so bad about my player of the game pick. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I pretty much just made my player of the game, but I'll pick I'll pick somebody else. But uh, yeah, Mike, Micah Pittman, I'm calling your number this week. All right, you, you're gonna you're. I think it lines up well for because you can move him into the slot. Uh, you know, he can play out wide. He can do so many different things. You you're not. And I'm not saying you're gonna put him on the line and have him block like a tight end. That's not what I'm saying, but. He's going to run some of those similar seam routes that you would usually send Breland out for. I think you'll find him in there uh, with his sure hands and the ability to pick up the tough yards. Um, I, I just think that Micah Pittman is the guy that emerges from the group this week. Again, he's going to lead all receiving categories. Somebody might sneak in some like random one-off touchdown, but at the end of the day, it's going to be on the back of the passing game is going to be on the back of Micah Pittman this week. Man, we're going to really contrast there, but I love that pick. Um, I'll get to to why there's a little bit of a clash in player of the game, but I think this is a week where we, we talked about this for months, and you've you've written about this at Scoop Duck. This idea that Chris Peterson and Mario Cristobal. They don't get along that well. They don't. There, there's a bit of a rivalry there. Absolutely. And Peterson tells parents and, and kids and all sorts of stuff that there's some shady stuff going down in Eugene. Yep. And Cristobal's looking back at Peterson like, why would you say that, right? Why would you negatively recruit? Right. And everybody's pointing the finger. I think this week, Peterson versus Cristobal, I think Mario's going to cook some things up and we might see a trick play or two. There's no doubt in my mind. So your lock of the week is 
Trick plays. Trick plays. Okay, yeah. and I'm good with that. I I'm, think I'm the good Ducks, with that. there's going to be two or three plays where Mario throws in something to outcoach Chris Peterson. Well, and I, I think Oregon showed a little bit of that against Colorado to have it on film and practice it. So there might be some wrinkles out of some things, but, um, you know, you saw a lot of two-back personnel uh, this past weekend. Um, I know that's been highly discussed, but I, I agree with you. I think the trick plays will be a, an element um, in this game. Uh, you know, I yeah, that that's going to be an awkward pregame handshake, no doubt. Yeah. they. I mean, I, I know there's a uh, – I mean, they're mature adults, so there's a a level of – respect for each other and what they do but yeah they don't, they, i mean they're not going to each other's houses for christmas no there's no doubt about that no no i i i think and to your point this is a game that if the option is there mario Cristobal will absolutely run up the score chris peterson will too i guess either way but who there's no pulling it back now it doesn't mean oregon's going to get careless at the end should they be up and just start passing trying to pick up big plays they'll stick to what they're doing but he ain't calling off the dogs no that's for sure. It's like Catholics versus convicts. Yeah. You get your chance, you run up the score. Yeah. No, and, and I think I think either team would do that this week, and I, there's no doubt in my mind that Mario Cristobal will do that. All right, so that's my lock some, of the week. Some back-breaking trick plays, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Something that will make everybody go, whoa. Right. And then they, they pan the camera to Mario on the sideline, and he fist bumps with the mustache Aaron Feld, yeah. and he just kind of has a smirk. Over at the other guy there like, in purple. Or it's like a 10-point game somewhere in the third quarter. Next thing you know, Oregon, you know, flips the script. Big trick play, and they're up 17. Now, you know, now you've turned Washington one-dimensional. It's going to crumble from there. Right. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. That's certainly a good thought. If that happens, you guys all owe me, by the way. Yeah, go, <laughs> go parlay on that. <laughs> uh, player of the game. You get to go first. Okay. So, so you destroyed my player of the game pick because I said – I wrote it down and everything – this is the week for Jawan Johnson. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and then you come out and say Micah. And yeah. I would love it if 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 any receiver can step up on this team, that's a great thing. Yes. But I wrote down Jawan Johnson because it's a road game. It's a hostile crowd. You need that experienced wide out who has been in games like this before. Uh, he's, he's been in the big house. He's been in Columbus at the horseshoe. He's He's – had clutch catches in the fourth quarter and clutch catches in overtime games and third and longs and goal line plays. And this is where all that experience, I think, pays dividends. The Ducks are going to need him this week. There's going to be a third and goal fade route yeah. and toss it up to your big man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the grad transfer, I think, is a better fit for that than the true freshman. Yeah. Uh, if, I mean, to my point earlier, you know, I said Pittman would lead all receiving categories, and then I kind of outed myself with touchdowns. Juwan Johnson could be the guy, like you said, they get, you know, third and four from the four-yard line or, you know, somewhere inside the five and, you know, like I said, a fade or a back corner throw or something, it would go to Johnson. And there's nothing to take away from that. That's partially why you brought him into the program. That's why right. he's there with you. So um, I, I – I think uh, I think that's a good pick. Uh, he could end up having two touchdowns on the game. Might only have 20 yards, but, but he has two. But he has two catches. touchdowns. Yeah, he has two touchdowns for Oregon. Um, you, you know, like you said, somebody's got to somebody's got to step up in the pass game for Oregon. You can't just run and run. You're going to run. You're going to need to establish a run. But somebody somebody's got to stretch the field vertically. Somebody's got to do that. 
Um, it could be Johnson. It could be Pittman. It could be Schooler. Uh, heck, it could be Red. He's been on fire lately, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, really like what we're seeing there. Um, my player of the game, uh, actually, I have two. I couldn't decide. Go for it. It's Husky hate week. So I, I need to get this out first and foremost. It, I, picking Panay Sewell is an automatic cheat code. So I'm not, I I, that's, that's why I didn't put <laughs> yeah. him down. I can't. I, I, everybody's like, why don't you pick Panay? Well, I can't pick Panay. He's going to get picked by everybody anyways. Uh, Panay will have a big game. Don't worry about that. Right. Uh, so for me, I believe that what we have seen over the past few games, and it continues to be a trend, when you have two talented defensive backs, you have to pick which one is the least that you want to attack. People have decided that that's Thomas Graham. I think Thomas Graham has a big game. I think he might give up some catches just because of the number of balls he's going to have to contest, but I think he'll lead the team in pass breakups, and I think he'll lead the team in interceptions uh, this weekend. No doubt. Yeah, I think, think about what he did last year. Yep. Great game against the Huskies last year. He's good in run support. He doesn't make too many mistakes. Um, I, you know, I think having a guy like Javon Holland back and putting him at the nickel – allowing him to roam from side to side like Oregon has done a little bit really allows him to help a guy like Thomas Graham. So if Lenore is doing his job on, on, on the one side, which he usually does, you know, you've got a guy like Thomas Graham who's really good, but when you're rolling over help coverage in a guy like Javon Holland, that's really a cheat code if you're going to throw to that side. And again, I, Jacob Eason is prone to mistakes. So that's why I've, I've kind of fed into this. Yeah. Now, Javon Holland's not my second pick. Okay, it's, I'm sticking with Thomas Graham as my player. My second is is good old good old Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, gonna break loose I this love week. It. Yep, I, I think uh, I don't think or I don't think Washington's offensive line is. They're definitely not elite. I don't think they're really good. I think they're good, and I think that uh, we heard Scott mention one guy that makes a big impact on Kayvon's performance is Jordan Scott. And I think Jordan Scott takes a lot of pride and passion in this game. And I think he will be there plugging a lot of holes and creating a lot of crea- uh, chaos in the middle. That just frees up your guys on the, on the edges. And, and I think this is an opportunity for Thibodeau to get somebody like Jacob Eason, who's not especially fast, not, not a mobile kind of guy. I think Thibodeau is going to eat a little bit this weekend. You mentioned earlier that... Some things you just can't tell by stats, but you can see with your eyes. And and just from what I've seen, that's an elite defender on this defense. Yeah. Blows me away as a true freshman. D- did you expect him to be this good this soon? Um, I expected him to be good, maybe not this good. I think I certainly think one of the deficiencies in his game is in run support, and that remains, and that was from day one, which is not uncommon for a true freshman at his position. But I think what Oregon has done is they've done a really good job of minimizing that exposure. So if Thibodeau's out there and they say, hey, go get the quarterback, they're rolling someone over to his side to help and run support so there's not this wide open lane for, you know, anyone to come through. So on the heels of that, we've, you know, Thibodeau is kind of only scratching the surface. We see him, you know, getting some pressures and 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 creating a little bit of havoc back there, but he's not getting, you know, four or five sacks, and he's so close on so many of them. I guess is my point. And I think a guy like Jacob Eason that's just a step slower, uh, Thibodeau's able to get there. And whether he's able to maybe chop the arm and jar the ball, ball loose or you know maybe trip him up enough that somebody, one of the linebackers, is able to finish off the tackle, something to that effect, I think Thibodeau has a major impact on this football game for Oregon. 
All right. That's players of the game. That's lock of the week. That's pretty much everything on Duck Football. Husky hate week. Husky hate week, baby. Can we just say this right now? Uh, We efforted Kenny Wheaton. Yeah. And I I can hear by your voice that's not going to happen today. No. But I just want to point out. We're the only ones even trying to get Kenny Wheaton. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing things, you know, we're trying to, you know, we get coaches, we get perspective from the other side. I mean, I love, I, honestly, I never really know how this podcast is going to come out until we get in here and start recording. And then, you know, we bring on a guy like Scott Eklund. I thought he did a really good job. Yeah. Uh, I was really impressed with his level-headedness and his approach to the way he looked at this game. Um, but, you know, we've had Kelly Graves on, and he kills it. I mean, just we've been very fortunate with some really, really good guests. Five-star Graves. Five-star Graves. Hey, uh, Kenny Wheaton. Yeah. 94. There's a reason why everybody cites that play as the the change for Oregon The football. turning point. Yeah. Do you feel that way? It's the turning point? I mean, I do. I, I It's hard to... It's hard to really I guess here's how I say it's really really hard to pinpoint one game, one win, one play that defines a university. I mean, there's so much that goes into it, recruiting and, and developing and and weight, you know, strength and conditioning, but that really was a, a catalyst, if you will, um, for a lot of the positives that came Oregon's way afterwards. But for that play, you go and you look and you think a few years ago that when Washington finally broke the twelve game win streak, you know, Oregon had won 12 in a row. Don't forget that. You know, everybody thought, okay, this signals the the change, the turning point to Washington. They beat Oregon, and they beat Oregon badly. Yeah. And, you know, oh, here we go. The, the tide is just a turning point, and it hasn't been. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's they've created a really good rivalry that's really close, and I think this week's, you know, this weekend's game is going to be another close game, but it definitely didn't signal the turning point. Again, both points, both schools, Oregon and Washington, have feasted, absolutely feasted on the lack of interest in USC and UCLA in recruiting. That's been the turning point. The biggest turning point for both those programs has been USC's downturn. So I, you know, I don't know if that, I don't know if they're going to fix that or not. But I mean, Oregon and Washington fans are hoping Clay Hilton keeps that job as long as possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, USC's like in the fifties or sixties right now for their recruiting class. I haven't looked in since uh, Bryce Young decommitted and went to Alabama but that was the only thing that had him in the 40s and then they've dropped I mean it's in like that is unheard of you're talking about USC and there are 50 something colleges out recruiting them right now mm-hmm. in October unbelievable unbelievable and it, ne- next you'll see you know maybe they get passed up by Oregon State <laughs> it's unreal it's 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 unheard of it's it should be unallowed yeah. I mean you as an AD, I don't know, Lynn Swan, whoever's taking over the job, you go and you look, you're like, we got the 50-something rank, yeah, we don't recruiting class, yeah, just let me finish in in January or whatever. Like, no way, dude, you, you're you going to jump 40-something spots yeah. in the next two months when 80% of the top-end talent's already committed somewhere? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality, you know, and the dangerous part is the SEC's a bigger threat, uh, you know, to Oregon and Washington from a recruiting standpoint than USC is. You know, they're able to pull DJ Ugalales and these other guys out. You know, Jermaine Burton, who visited Oregon this past week and wide receiver, he's committed to LSU. These are guys that, I mean, basically when USC offered, they committed. Yeah. That night or that day. Hey, I want to play with Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush. Yeah. I'm in. Like, oh, I got a USC offer, I'm in. Like, done. It was done. And 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 the tides have turned because back in the day, and recruiting changed a little bit, but back in the day, at certain similar points, 
Oregon was having to fill their class with 15 guys from December to January to build their class. Whereas USC was sitting back and only had like four or five spots left to go. We've done a total 180. And really, that's for Oregon and Washington. Both of them have, you know, three, four, five, six spots left, whatever it is. Not many left from October to, you know, February to, to fill. And USC's got 15 spots they need to fill. That's amazing. It is amazing. And we don't even, I mean, UCLA, we don't even have to talk about UCLA. They're, you know, the, their most recent commits, a, a, a junior college running back who could end up being terrific. But I think his next biggest offer was like UTSA or something. I don't even remember. Uh, that's not a good sign. Insane. It's yeah. insane. Like, it's not talked about enough. Poor Chip. Poor, Poor Chip. Yeah, I, I mean, you you love Chip Kelly, the offensive genius. You absolutely love that element about him. But his stubbornness, as I said from the get-go, is his absolute biggest fault. And he, I mean, if you don't, it, I mean, that's the thing. You say the term adapt or die. If you don't adapt or die, you die. Mm-hmm. And UCLA is slowly dying. <laughs> I mean, I, whatever. I'm off my rant. We're, we're I, don't, how do, I don't even know how I got how we got there. Well, we were talking about um, goodness. We were talking about the pick, yeah, and, oh, and just yeah. the growth of duck football. Yeah, uh, I I wanted to ask that to you. Last thing for you, yeah. Your expectations Saturday. Uh, you know, again, neutralizer is being at Husky Stadium. Going to be a good game. Going to be close. Um, I do I do feel good about Oregon's chances here. I don't want to give everything away. Um, I feel good about Oregon's chances headed into this game. I feel good. I feel much better about them today based off what we saw against Colorado. And I don't mean because Oregon beat Colorado. We knew they were going to beat Colorado. They should have beat Colorado. But it's the way they beat Colorado. The way they beat Colorado. The offense showed up in all phases of the game. It was balanced attack. They were throwing on first down. They mixed things up really well. Um, you know, they were throwing to the running backs out in the flat. You know, just a lot of those little things that we've kind of nitpicked about the past few weeks were present in that game. So I, I think, again, we're now at a point where the defense is legit and you're just expecting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if a, if that defense gives up 10 to 17 points, you know, heaven forbid the fallout from that. I mean, <laughs> just think about that. Their Oregon defense is, yeah. uh, what, are they, what are they averaging, like eight or nine points a game or something like that? It's unbelievable. Yeah, and if you toss out the Auburn game, it's probably like four points a game. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, you the, the term Oregon Ducks football and defense were never really synonymous like that. Even in the 2012 year, when it was a really good defense, mm-hmm. one that helped you get to that national championship, it wasn't an elite defense. It was a good enough defense and deep enough defense to be combined with that style of offense, which demanded a lot of snaps on defense. And they were good enough. This is an absolutely elite defense in college football. And pro- again, I'll say it, it's the best Oregon defense I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, Saban and Dabo and those guys back east, I think they'd be pretty proud looking at this. This is a elite defense. Andy Avalos is going to have a difficult decision to make in December or January. He's right. he's going to he's going to get a head coaching offer. He's going to get a head coaching offer somewhere that likes defense. And who knows what the coaching carousel will will work up. Uh, you know, is He's got a decision. Does he like being a ball coach? Because as a defensive coordinator, you get to be a ball coach. You get to sit there and work with the players, and you get to you know do these other things that you like to do, drop defense, 
you're at practice every day, practicing with your groups. As a head coach, you don't really get to do that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a, a lot less hands-on, so you lose that bit of control. Um, you know, you could still have your defensive DNA. You can still do those things, but you're, you're giving up a lot of control. I, I mean, here's what I'll say. Oregon was able to offer Jim Levitt basically $2 million to coach defense. So it can be done for the right guy. Andy Avalos is probably much deserved. He's going to get a raise at, from Oregon. Yes. They're going to make an offer to keep him there. Whether it's enough and he decides he wants to be a ball coach or he wants to be a head coach, that's really going to be his decision. He's going to get enough money either direction. Yeah. And that's what Clemson has done. Clemson has brought in really good coordinators and kept them there with really generous contracts, much deserved, and let those guys do their thing. And those guys seem perfectly content coaching their side of the ball. It's worked for them. It might work for Oregon. Uh, for all those reasons you mentioned, I like the Ducks as well Saturday. Perfect. I think it's a Ducks win. You do. What 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 are your keys to the game? What 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 leads you to that? Well, the defense, yeah. number one. That defense is dynamite. Better defense than Washington's offense. I think they're going to sack Jacob Eason. They're going to force yeah. some turnovers. And if you have a, a rainy, wet field, I trust a defense in that. Yeah. Just the, that kind of smash-mouth football where you're not going to air it out a ton. Your, your spread-passing game just doesn't have the right finesse. Guys are, you know... Maybe it's a a ten step route, and you're getting to nine and slipping. Yeah, that kind of thing. I like a defense in that kind of game. No, I like a defense and a run and a and, and a run first offense, mm-hmm. and that's what Oregon is. And so, yeah, if you're if you're betting on a team and what elements, you know, you're going to pick the one that runs the ball well and plays good defense. Yeah, that fits Oregon. I think Washington runs the ball okay, not well, but okay, and their defense is. A little better than okay, but I mean it's not a bad defense. It's just it's not on the level of Oregon's. No, I mean let's be real. And and when we had Scott Eklund on earlier, he mentioned all the departures at yeah. Washington. Oh yeah, uh, Ben Burkirvan is kicking butt for the Seahawks this year. Uh, there's a lot of names that shined that are no longer there. Yeah, Oregon doesn't really have that problem. No, they got better. Washington got worse. I think that's enough, and I think the Ducks win. Yeah, Washington. Uh, defensively is kind of where Oregon was at last year defensively. You know, got a few pieces, brought in some young guys, developed them, made them better. I mean, Lenore and Graham weren't elite guys last year. They are this year. Javon Holland was a true safety, uh, true freshman last year. He's a bit more seasoned. So, right. you know, Oregon's going to lose a few guys. You're going to lose like a Jordan Scott and, 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 a, and, a, and a Troy Dye. You're going to lose a couple guys, but it's not a, it's not nine guys like Washington lost. They, Washington is soft in the middle. They are defensively. And you heard Scott mention uh, uh, Gaines being gone and, and graduated and gone. That's a big loss for them in the middle of that defense. Yeah, He anchored the center of that defense and did a really good job. Um, they're, they're really soft in the middle. That plays very well into Oregon's hands. So we both like the Ducks. We both think they're going to win. I think that's everything. Guess that's it, man. Yeah. We got it all down. Five games. Play, yeah. Husky hate week, baby. Husky hate week. Hey, let's catch up with you next week. Oregon Wazoo next week. Oh, man. The The pirate pirate next week. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Imagine if we could get him on the spot. Oh, man. That would be beautiful. I'll I'll try to get him on. I don't (laughs) think we'll get him during the season. Who knows? I I don't think think they would let you. Probably not. But he would be the all-time best podcast guest. Oh, yes. Absolutely. 50 minutes of marriage advice and, and law and piracy and... I don't even know what questions I'd ask him. Right. Like, I probably would ask him, him one ask football questions. question, and then the rest would all be totally abstract. Yes. 
Right. Like, and that's beautiful. What, like, what's your favorite hand-to-hand combat weapon? And I'm sure he would go <laughs> off about, you know, swords or what. It'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll have to save that one for next week. Uh, Ducks, Huskies, good luck, Duck fans. We think you get the win. Thanks for listening. I can do this night like all day long.